very often we have to get a background check to begin to work in a workplace. So how that works in the first century? When uh, someone had something bad to say or a lie to say about you or a false testimony about you, what would they do? So today's Great, okay. So today's title is uh, The Greatest Testimony. And um, that's what I think first uh, John is talking about in this uh, section, this portion we're going to be looking at today. That is uh, chapter 5, verses uh, from 6 to 13. It's the greatest testimony we can listen to. And uh, we're going to be proving this proposition today. And is that the person and work of Jesus is humanity's most important testimony. We'll repeat it. The person and work of Jesus is humanity's most important testimony. And we're going to prove that through... Two reasons. Two reasons why the person and work of Jesus is humanity's most important testimony. So the first reason is the unquestionable testimony. And uh, that will be in uh, verses from 6 to 9. Before we begin reading the word, let's pray. Father God. We worship and praise you and your name. Father, we're so thankful for what you have done for us. Sending your only begotten son to pay for our sins. Father, we thank you for the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, only Jesus would be the perfect person that would be able to pay for our sin. Father, thank you for doing that for us. We ask you in this morning that you help us to understand how the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our lives. And uh, we help us to, through this testimony from the first century, Make it alive to our lives today. Help us through your Holy Spirit to learn truth and uh, apply it to our lives. Be with us during this time. We praise you, God. We love you and we ask you everything in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first reason we're going to be looking at today is the unquestionable testimony. I look for several adjectives adjectives to add to testimony and I had irrefutable but at the end I I like unquestionable because there's no question there's no opposition to that testimony it's a strong testimony we're going to look at that from six verses six to nine I would like you to 
look with me. So from six to nine, we're going to have uh, first three witnesses from six to eight. And uh, let's read. This is the one who came. Oops. Would you go back? Jump, please. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. The first witness we're going to look at today is uh, the water. But um, first, I want you to look at verse 6 when it says, This is the one who came by water and blood. Through the history, different people have suggested different things about this water and blood. Some people have said that when Jesus was pierced, when that water and blood went out, it's referring to that. Some other people look to water and blood like uh, water, the baptism, and blood, the last supper. But most of the scholars and myself, I think that water and blood is referring to the baptism and uh, the death of Christ in the cross. Because those are kind of two brackets that... Uh, Shows how begin and how ends his ministry on earth. So I think, supported by a lot of good scholars, that that's water, is baptism, and blood is referring to the cross. And we're going to prove that this morning. So our first witness here is the water that is in the baptism. So I will ask you please to go with me to first to John 1, beginning on verse... 29. We're going to quickly go through all the verses. This is a very important thing to review again. Beginning on verse 29 on chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, the same author we are talking about on 1 John. So it says in verse 29, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John the Baptist, he became his uh, ministry as the one who prepared the way for Jesus Christ. He was baptizing on water, and uh, what he was trying to do, he was trying to make people know that they were sinning. 
so they would repent of their sins and their hearts would be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. That was the work of John. So John even here begins uh, his personal testimony about him, about the Messiah, saying that is the Lamb of God, saying that he's even higher than him, and although that he existed before. But in verse 32, John says, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. From verse 29 to 31, John is giving his personal opinion. But from 32 to and 32 and 33, he's talking about the Spirit told him. So it's a little difference. It's, it's what the Spirit told him about Jesus. That's not the only place where we can see or read about the Baptist. But in Matthew 3, if you want, you can read from just from uh, the screen, so you don't have to go all the way around. So beginning on Matthew 3, verse 13, we have more information about this baptism. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John the Baptist, he knew that Jesus was sinless. He didn't have a, a real reason to get baptized. Jesus didn't have to repent of, their, of his sins. And John, although knew that Christ was higher than him. So he, when, when Christ is coming, when Jesus is coming, John is like, what are you doing here? I, I cannot, I don't have any power or authority to baptize you. But it continues there in 15. But Jesus answered, answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was God the Father himself talking and saying, This is my Son. It's a direct testimony from God the Father saying, This is my Son. So if someone has any doubts about the person of Jesus Christ, those doubts need to stop right here. This is the testimony from the Father just telling this is my son. 
And then with the, this first witness, we're going to the second witness. The second witness is the blood. And uh, we think that the, this blood is talking about Christ's death. While the baptism is the beginning of his ministry, this, um, the death is the end of his physical ministry as a man. So that day, several things happened that are a testimony for us today. I listed the different events that happened there, and we're going to go through those, like a testimony of who Jesus was. So for that, I would like you just to go with me to Matthew 27 in your Bibles, or just go with me and read from the screen. Matthew 27. I began on verse 45 and I jumped from 45 to 51. So be aware of that. Verse 45 of, of the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew says, it's talking about our first event. Now, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. We know that the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., so that was zero hours. So six, the sixth hour would be noon. And from sixth hour to the ninth hour was until 3 p.m. So from 12 to 3 p.m., there was a whole darkness in that place. It was a very unusual, unusual event. What's uh, the real deal about this event? That darkness is a symbol of what Jesus was going through. Jesus had to, for a time, experience the wrath of God. He was paying for our sin. So he, as a human, he had to go through that. A lot of people talk about all the physical things he went through before crucifixion, but I think this was his worst moment. Because the Father and him who were united all the time, they had to be apart. That's, that's, how, that's why he says, Eli, Eli, Samaktani, uh, my God, my God, why you have forsaken me? Because at that time, the father and the son had to get apart for a little bit. And the wrath of the father needed to go through the son for him to pay for our sin. So this darkness means that time in which Jesus had to pay for our sin. It's a real hard time he went through for us. So we continue in verse 51. And it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. Another very unusual thing that happened is that the veil of the temple just turned down. That veil could be 40 or 65 feet 
tall. The original was 40 feet, but Herod, when he remade the temple, made it to 65. So it should be between 40 and 65 feet tall. And it was not just curtain like we have it. It's a four-inch veil. So that's impossible to be humanly turned down from up to down in a moment like that. That veil was the one who separated the Holy of Holies from the Holy Place. The Holy Place in the temple was the place where the just priest would go in. That was the, the place where you had the, the chandelier in, the, in your left, the altar of incense in your front when you entered, and on your right would be the proposition bread. And that was okay because the priest could go in there and change the bread. But that veil was a kind of border. On the other side of the veil in the Holy of Holies, it was the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest once a year could go in there to the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood on the seat. And it's curious because when the high priest would go in there he would have a little bells making noise and a cord because the presence of God was inside behind that veil and people have died before going in there if the high priest was not pure and he would go in there he would die so the bells and the cord were for that if they knew if they didn't listen to anything in there, they would take the high priest out with the core. Imagine that was the Holy of Holies in the temple, and a special place where God inhabited. So the veil just turned down, and that's, that's a big symbol for us. When Christ died on the cross, everything changed. We don't need a high priest to go in the presence of God for us. We have free access to the presence of God. That's what Jesus did in the cross. That's why the turn down of the veil is so important. We now have access. We don't need sacrifices and we don't need a high priest to help us to go to the presence of God. And we don't need a normal priest to go and intercede for us in front of God. We can just go in prayer to Him because of Christ. And uh, the most amazing thing, like humanly speaking, happened, it begins at the end of verse 51, says, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. I really like this part. Not because all the moving on the rocks, because, but because of the resurrection. These people were the first fruits. And here we know it's possible. Christ did it. But from here we know that He defeated death. And we can have resurrection in Him. That's a big deal for me. 
this testimony, these events happened in this day were so big and so great that at the end, I didn't uh, put it on your screen, but in verse 54, the centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God. After all these things happened, it was a real testimony of the person of Jesus. The third witness for us is the Holy Spirit. This one is the easier to figure it out because he's uh, talking about the Spirit in our verses today. So our question is how the Holy Spirit or the Spirit testifies or gives testimony about Jesus Christ. I have two ways. You can have more and you can share that with me. But I have two ways. When we go to 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All those prophets we have in the Old Testament and all the people who talked in the Old Testament about Jesus... They didn't do it from their own will. But the Holy Spirit was the one who inspired them to say those things. So when Isaiah is describing the Messiah, it was not Isaiah by himself. It was the Holy Spirit testifying about the future Messiah. So that's one way we learn from Jesus and the Spirit testified from Jesus. Through prophecy and this other one is more closer to us today John 15 26 says when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify about me that's Jesus talking to the disciples and um, he's just saying the helper, the paracletos, the, the Holy Spirit will come. It's going to come from the, the Father. And uh, that is the spirit of truth. Something that John is telling us in our verses too. So we as believers today, we have the testimony in ourselves of the Holy Spirit saying us, Jesus is the Christ. We cannot have a real perception of who Christ is without the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us. He is the one who shows us the truth. He is the one who is going to convince us or convinced us in the past of uh, seeing justice and judgment. So he testifies to ourselves. If any of you have a new KGV or a KGV today, they are going to be something different there in chapter seven, in verse 7. You will have something bigger there, more. That's a long story. You can, you can ask me later about it. Uh, maybe the initial thing about it was 
Erasmus, he, he did the Greek New Testament and that went into the uh, Textus Receptus, that is the text that was uh, used for the KGV and even my Cuban, my Spanish Bible version, that text had that portion that older manuscripts didn't have. So the bigger evidence says that what you have in your new KGV is not what the most of manuscripts have. So you can talk with me about that later because it's a long story. And uh, reading and finishing there with uh, verse 7. For there are three that testify. We already looked at those three. The water that was the baptism, how God testified about his son. The blood, how God testified about his son through his dead, all those events. And the third one is the spirit who testifies. In the past, through the prophets, in today, inside us. So in 7, it says, for there are three that testify. And uh, I like that because some people, some other translation, translate like converge. And uh, literally, what it's saying there is, and, and the three are into the one. It's, it doesn't say it testifies. It says, and the three are into the one. What it's saying is that the three testimonies are only one, are the same. They come together. They're saying the same thing about Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, completely God, fully man. But in verse 9, it's something even greater that is kind of reinforcement of everything we have been seeing. It says, if we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. You know, the person who gives testimony of you is very important. It's really very important who's giving testimony of you. I was um, looking to a preaching book the other day. The author was Abraham Kuruvila. And uh, I said, okay, who's this guy? It's just another preaching book. And uh, the guy has a couple of PhDs, okay? But I learned something from him after that. When uh, Swindle, Charles Swindles, goes on vacations, he called Abraham Kuruvila and said, hey, would you... Fill the pulpit with me while I'm on vacations. And then I said, oh, wow, this is a good guy. If Charles Swindle called this guy to preach when he's not there, this is a good preacher. I'm going to read the book. So the people who give the testimony are important. Who gives the testimony is important. Is important. So in this case, in verse 9... What John is telling, telling us, if we receive testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. I think this is, uh, these ideas are coming directly back to Deuteronomy 19.15. In the Hebrew mind, to make a case, I could not go and say, Greg did this and that to me. I had to bring two more people 
two or three witnesses. And I think this uh, way in which John makes it, the blood, the, the water, the blood, and the spirit, is, is back to this. He wants to bring more than, than one testimony. He wants to bring three testimonies. That's part of the law. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So I think this was the idea of uh, John doing those three witnesses and saying after that, okay, if bringing three witnesses, three men, is enough testimony, well, I'm bringing three from God. I read this thing this week. It was uh, just the rabbis in, in Israel are mad at the Pope because the Pope made a statement. And uh, I normally, I don't like Francis, but he said something that I really liked there that made the Jews to get mad at him. And I will read it for you. God offered them the Torah, the law, so they could understand his will and live in justice. We have to thank that at that time, a law like this was necessary. It was a tremendous gift that God gave his people. But later, Francis said, the law, however, does not give life. It does not offer the fulfillment of the promise because it is not capable of being able to fulfill it. The law is a journey, a journey that leads toward an encounter. Those who seek life need to look to the promise and to its fulfillment in Christ. And in my mind, just popped that and said, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you kill them. Because that's what you need to tell to the Jews. The law is good. It looks like the Pope actually was reading the Bible, was reading Romans and Galatians. The law is good, yeah. But it doesn't take you anywhere but Christ. For the first time in my life, I'm really in agreement with Francis. Because he is saying, who is Christ to the Jewish people? And... He is being faithful to the testimony of the scriptures. He is backing up the testimony of the scriptures. Jewish people are still looking and waiting for the Messiah. No. The law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he is the Messiah you still waiting today. So he finally, I don't know how, he... Gave testimony of who really is Christ. The law is fulfilled in Him. And my question for you to, in this morning is, who is Christ for you? Are you aware that Christ is the Messiah that was pictured through the whole Old Testament? That He is perfect man, because He still is. 
even when he's not in a physical material material body. He is perfect man, fully God. And he went to the cross in his body and he paid for our sin. The heresy that John is treating here is a form of Gnosticism in the first century. The people were trying to spread that Christ was not in the body when he went to the cross. That what went to the cross was a spirit, something you saw, but the body was not real there. And John is trying to go through all these testimony to prove that. That he was the real son of God and he was in the flesh. But for us today, we need to be clear. Especially because we are other people saying that Christ is a different person. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons were taking the deity out of Christ. Saying he was not God. And uh, we need to be clear about who Jesus is. The real unquestionable testimony. So now that we have clear that testimony that is unquestionable. The second reason I'm going to give you today. To prove that uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ is humanity's most important testimony. Is the consequences of the testimony. And we're going to find that from verse 10 to 13. We're going to begin on 11, not on 10. 11 says, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Quickly, we have two important, two important things there. First one, that... What we are going to get from having the right testimony is eternal life. And that's a really big consequence. We have to think that our 70 plus years here on earth are just a vapor compared with eternity. So this is an important choice. The person and the work of Jesus Christ is humanity's most important testimony. We need to be aware of that. We're talking about our eternity. And that eternity is given in His Son. He's the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And nobody goes to the Father but through the Son. We continue in verse 10 and 12, and uh, we read 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. Today, you and me can stand only in two grounds. We can agree with the testimony of God, or we can disagree with the testimony of God. I want you to be aware and think again, where are you standing 
concerning the testimony of God. Today, are you believing in the Son of God and having the testimony in ourselves? Or are we making him a liar? Are we having a different idea about who Jesus is and what he did for us? But verse 12 gives us a little bit more. He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I want you to be aware there's not a third option. Or we have the life in His Son or we have not. There are only two ways. There are only two places to go after death. We go to the presence of God. Or we are going to be forever far from Him. Separated forever. I like when passages end like this. End up. Verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. All of these, even the whole, almost the whole book, is just John making clear who we are, who Jesus is, and giving us assurance of what we have in Him. So if you today already checked the ground you're standing today concerning the unquestionable testimony that the Father has given us concerning the Son, I want you to know that you for sure have eternal life. And I left that verse at the end of your outline. So when you go back, you can have that assurance that if we today have heard the most important testimony that humanity has, that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, no matter what. Father God, we thank you so much for this book. We thank you for how John have been explaining so many things about our sin, our way of loving others, our way to handle false teachers, but Father, we know that the greatest testimony is the testimony of your Son. Father, we know that it, that testimony is an unquestionable testimony. You have given us so many proofs of who your Son is. 
through the water, through the blood, and through the Spirit. Father, we acknowledge today that our idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus did is so important that it's going to determine our eternal future. Father, thank you for giving us assurance that if we stand in this ground, if we believe that your son came and paid for, your sin, for our sins on the cross, we have eternal life. Father, help us to dwell and to live in that assurance. Father, thank you because we can trust your testimony. In Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to yeah. We're going to finish with a song that reminds of, of all the certainty we have and how blessed we are on that blessing. <laughs>